Good morning. Happy Monday. I have neural coffee in hand and it is perfect. All right. A very busy Monday. Um, quick housekeeping item. Uh, IFAST University members, we have a call at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time today. Um, if you are not a member of IFAST University, please go to ifastuniversity.com. Get yourself signed up so you can join us on that call. 1 p.m. Eastern Time, IFAST University. Digging straight into today's Q&A. This is with Timus. Timus had a question in regards to having some difficulty making some changes in a narrow ISA individual, but what this deviated off into was some connective tissue behavior discussion and then talking about adaptive potential. So when we talk about the principles upon which my model is based, um, one of those principles is adaptive potential, and we have to take this into consideration. So this is their structure, which could be genetically determined. It could be behaviors and training that have influenced this. It could be age-related changes and such. And so we have to take into consideration what the adaptive potential is for this individual, because it's going to help us determine our strategies, how long things might take, what adaptations we might be chasing, and so on and so forth. So this is a great question from Timus. Thank you very much. If you would like to participate in a 15-minute consultation, please go to askbillhartman at gmail.com, askbillhartman at gmail.com. Please put 15-minute consultation in the subject line so I don't delete it. We'll arrange that at our mutual convenience. Everybody have an outstanding Monday, and I'll see you tomorrow. So uh, when, with these end game narrows as well, I, I've been doing a lot of manual work because they, they're kind of difficult to get them to expand because already they have those thoracic bends. Yes, sir. And And looking at those really far compensations like people that go to physiotherapist first time in maybe 30 years and they have pain since their you know 20s and they're already in their 50s late 50s they i once i start working manually on the spine i i find sometimes that they have these like spinous process sticking out in the mid cervical region it just seems like they have a bend in in the lumbar and cervical spine it usually goes together so they have somewhat similar uh representation on both sides yes sir but the same, so if I imagine bend, that would be somewhat a compensation for, for ER. So that would be somewhat expansion back, or at least a bend back. That would be a fake false expansion. For whatever reasons, that use some, like it seems to be the stiffest segment. You cannot move it. Like what, whatever you try to do, anterior posterior pressure, you try to do mobilization side to side, you no know, translations, whatever, it just doesn't move at all. Right. And, and, uh, and I was just wondering, why, why is that, considering it's a compensatory ER strategy, which should allow it to move a little bit, I assume, because it should be some expansion element in there, but it doesn't, it just doesn't move. Could yeah. you talk a little bit about it? Yeah, should we, should we ask Alex about this one? Go ahead, yes. Uh-oh, just put him on the spot. I, I saw his reaction. <laughs> There's no follow-up question, I just have to answer off that. <laughs> <laughs> okay so so uh alex what do you think the rate of muscle behavior would be in the circumstance that Timus is describing um rate would be very very high it would be very very high that is correct so this is a strategy that they're using and that at a moment's notice they have access to because they have learned and they have practiced over time either intentionally or unintentionally and so, so we have a very high rate situation here. Now, let's, let's talk about connective tissue behaviors in general as to how it would behave um, if we were training somebody and we did a, a very, very high rate activity over time. So let's take a power lifter as a representation. We're gonna use near maximal loads. We're gonna do it with a high degree of frequency. And so what is gonna be, what is gonna to happen to, to the number one muscle activity capabilities and number two, what is the connective tissue behavior gonna be? Um, so, well, the connective tissue behavior will be very stiff. I assume. Yeah. So, very... so does, do, do, do you get adaptations in regards to the, the collagen content of connective tissues when you load it repeatedly over time? Oh, yeah. Yeah, certainly. Yeah. Okay. So, so now you've got, you've got what used to be maybe some elasticity in that connective tissue, and now it just takes more effort to deform it. Uh-huh. And so, so in, again, when you talk about like you're, you're talking about some of the, my patient population, when you say that, oh yeah, they've had pain since they were 20 and they come in and they're 55 mm-hmm. years old. Yes. Like, yeah. I see those people too. Um, and, and th- it's very, very difficult because you're battling 30 years of adaptation. Yes. Yes. And so it does reduce the potential 
for change in the acute phase. Now, it doesn't mean mm -hmm. that we can't make progress. It just means that we might not be able to make as much progress. Yeah. Now, you, in addition to that, okay, let's take the water out of the connective tissues because we all dehydrate as we age. Okay. So now I have an adaptation for 30 years. I have reduced potential for change. And now you're in a pickle. Mm -hmm. Okay. So we have okay. a combination of factors here that are all in, in play. Now, if I'm dehydrating, if I have a compressive strategy over 30 years, what do you think the spacing between the joints is going to look like in, in the cervical spine or lumbar spine? Doesn't matter which one we're talking about. What do you think those are going to look like? Well, uh, are they normal I, I, size spaces or are they smaller space? No, they will be smaller. They will be definitely okay. smaller space. So now I have smaller space to even, so I, I have lesser potential for even restoring movement, don't I? Yes, yes. Yeah. So you have a, you have a combination of factors mm. here that are all playing together. To what degree? I have no idea. Yes. But I do know that all of those will exist in, in addition to who knows what else, right? But again, right. it's like when you start to look at it that way and you go, okay, we, we've got a pretty big challenge here, uh -huh. right? And so then the, the big challenge is, okay, how do I make space? So, so if, if that person that we just talked about, if, uh, if the person would come to you at the moment when the compensation of, of that bend just took place, would you theoretically expect expect uh, to be able to move it? Would you would you expect to have some more mobility there comparing to the other places? And then over time it reduces and becomes stiff because of all the changes that you mentioned just now. Or, yeah, or what, yeah. I, I think so because again we're talking about a time dependent change, right? Yes, so yes. if you it like you ever work with like a uh, like a fifteen year old athlete yes, and then yes. a thirty five year old athlete. Less of 35-year-old athletes, but I, I get sometimes, yes. But like, so, so I had a, I had a, had a 16-year-old volleyball player in um, last night, and you want to talk about somebody that's changeable. Yes, <laughs> right? yes. They, they, it was very, that, yeah. it was very yeah. easy. It was yes, like one they, of the easier visits of all time, right? Okay, and then yeah. I had, then I had a, a an older uh, uh, American football player in, and that was like pulling my teeth out. It was it was yes. tough because again it's like talk about two different worlds yes. and two different levels of adaptation, yes. right? Yes. So so again it's like you're you're not representing anything unusual, but like understanding mm -hmm. all of the potential or we're never going to stand all the potential influences here. Yeah. We just want to get as many of those in play mm -hmm. in our thought yeah, process yeah. because mm -hmm. when you start thinking about okay I've got I've got tissue representations. I've got muscle representations, I've got joint positions, right? If you can look at it through all of those lenses, it starts to present the options that will be available to you to try to influence this. Yes, yes. You see it? That's, yeah. that's the important thing about, about your question. Mm -hmm. It's like, what are my options? What do I have available? Mm -hmm. Where else can I go to create movement? If I can't create movement somewhere, where can I safely create movement elsewhere that literally they may have to use a compensatory mm -hmm. strategy? Then, then theoretically, if, if all these things already took place that we just discussed before, uh, restoring a better adaptability and restoring that universal expansion, would you expect the spaces between the, between the joints to increase at least a little bit to get a bit more fluids in it? Or, what, is, or... what is their potential for change? Not big. But, well, but if it is, you, just, you don't you? know until you try. Yes, yes, yes. Right. So I think your 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 premise, mm -hmm. you know, your, your thought process, I think is is very useful. It's like, okay, so let's try to make space. Okay, how many different ways can you make space? Oh, a lot. <laughs> well, you've got a few. It's like yes. so so now you gotta run the experiment. You have to say, yeah. okay, this is this potentially gives me space. This position potentially gives me space. This this manual technique potentially gives yes. me space, yes. right? And, and it's like you you have to run your experiment. You you use your best reasoning, mm -hmm. you apply, and then you remeasure. So that's the mistake that a lot of people don't you don't follow through on, is that you have to remeasure to see what your outcome is, so you know if you're on the right track or not. 
because we do get acute changes associated with many of the things that we do. Yeah. Some of them are longer term strategies, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like changing somebody from really, really stiff connective tissues to really, really yielding connective tissues can take time if yes. they have the potential for it. Yes, yeah. Right? Um, I was watching, uh, um, has anybody seen the, the, the Chinese sprinter that, that, that uh, broke the 60 meter world record? Did you see how long he had to train to do that? So, so he, he, he ran against Usain Bolt in 2012. Um, I don't think he was even in the finish line picture, right? Mm -hmm. So he was slow, not slow, just not as fast yeah. as the whole, whole world, right? And, and he trained, yeah, exactly. I see you, Manuel. Uh, he trained nine years, I think, to, uh, to break nine, nine, in the hundred and then ran the world's fastest 60. But he like nine years of adaptations yeah. were required for him to, to, to change, literally change his physiology into a wow. more favorable representation that ultimately made him one of the fastest people in the mm -hmm. world, in the world. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So, so, so think about that yeah. for a second. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I, I want to say this because I think it's really, really important yes. that people don't understand. The, the reason that I brought up the, the training for nine years to create the adaptations to make the, world, the world's fastest 60 meter runner, okay? How many hours does somebody need to invest to make the changes that you're trying to make? Are they willing to commit eight hours a day? I, and I'm, this is an extreme example. Yeah, 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 Are they willing yeah. to commit eight hours a day for six years to undo all of those changes. Definitely not. So, yeah. so, so you're, I mean, you're, you're backed into a corner here to a degree yeah. as to what is somebody willing to do, right? Yeah. How long do they need to invest in this? It's like a lot of people don't recognize like the severity of adaptations for us to undo them if it's possible, if it's possible. Yes, yes. It might right. be, yeah. it might be possible, but you know what? 10 minutes of exercise twice a day ain't gonna do it. Yes. And that, and we have to accept that, you know, a lot of people are willing to go to the gym two or three hours a day to put on gigantic amounts of muscle mass. Yes. Right. Because they're driven by that. Mm -hmm. It's not as exciting no. <laughs> to spend three hours a day yes. trying to get a shoulder to move back. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You see, I'm getting that, but, yeah. Yeah. but what if it, what if that's what it takes and just people aren't willing to do it? Like you're given the best program. Yes the best strategy and you say and they go how long is this going to take it's going to take you six years three hours a day and they go screw that i'll just live with it good morning happy tuesday i have neuro coffee in hand and it is perfect okay well tis tuesday big clinic day we're going to dig straight into today's q a this is a question uh from bori and she's working with someone that was diagnosed with an inguinal hernia, um, but based on the signs and symptoms and the findings, I'm, I'm not too um, concerned that that is necessarily the case. And so I think what we have in this Q&A is more of a positional pressure and tension related problem. But the, the inguinal area tends to be one of those areas that gets confusing for people uh, because I think they're looking at it differently and I, I got a pseudo-inguinal ligament here um, that I've constructed. And this thing is going to have tension on it. It's going to get uh, compressed. And it's going to twist along with the shape change that's associated with, with the pelvis. And if we look at what's attached to it, now we say, oh, we have eccentric orientation under certain circumstances for this muscle. We have concentric orientation for another. So we've got this interplay of the obliques under those circumstances. And again, based on the shape change. So if we widen that space, we're gonna put more tension in the inguinal ligament um, as we get compression and expansion in the anterior aspect of the pelvis, we're gonna see a twisting of it. So we make a reference to like twisting a towel. So you can sort of un see the, the twisting and the untwisting under those circumstances. So this will be a really good uh, Q&A for those of you that have questions in regards to things like inguinal hernias, sports hernias, groin issues, um, pubalgias, and, and, and things like that. 
So thank you, Bori, for the question. If you would like to participate in a 15-minute consultation, please go to askbillhartman at gmail.com, askbillhartman at gmail.com. Put 15-minute consultation in the subject line so I don't delete it. We will arrange that at our mutual convenience. Everybody have an outstanding Tuesday, and we'll see you tomorrow. Yeah, so I do have a little question. Um, okay, fire away. I, I have a question about inguinal hernias. And then since now that we were talking about all this connective tissue uh, questions, uh -huh. um, I have a client patient who is a massage therapy patient. So it's like, that's what, how we started with. And fortunately he's not in, not getting the surgery because of COVID because nobody's doing surgeries right now here. So he can't get any kind of like elective surgeries. It's not uh, severe enough. Um, it's basically, it doesn't show up on an MRI basically all the diagnostics was is that the doctor like pushed in and it was soft. That's, that, okay. that was it. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay. We'll go with that. Okay. So, yeah. and then he has it on both sides, uh, more on the right, uh, more you. severe on the right. Yeah. And what I was, we were talking about kind of like the pressure and the pressure where like the, it needs to go somewhere. So like hernias is like pressure going somewhere where the tissue is not strong enough to handle it. Like it's not, that's why it's not supposed to come out. Gotcha. So where I'm going with, and he's a cyclist, so he rides a lot, uh, but he's narrow not. Then? Is he narrow? Narrow then? Uh, he is a narrow, he's more okay. narrow than wide and he's a cyclist, but he's not like fit or thin. Um, and then basically what I was talking with him about is try to direct that pressure out of that, uh, working on, um, working on like kind of like shifting him back, uh, obviously and getting that pelvic floor a little bit more elastic. So I don't know if you have any thoughts on that or like, where else could I go or? Okay. Um, so think about, hang on, let me grab. So how's your, how's your anatomy? Okay. I would think it's good. <laughs> I want to think it's good. What goes from there to there? In that ligament. Okay. If I if I am a wide, or I'm sorry, a narrow ISA. Okay. All right. And then I compress myself A to P. So I'm going to make my diameter smaller front to back, and I'm going to make it wider side to side. Can you see how you create tension on the inguinal ligament? Mm -hmm. All right. Now, if you're if you're, you said this guy's not fit. Well, he's not thin. Oh, he's not thin. So he has like, he has like more belly weight. Okay, but cool. He's, That's kind okay. of where I'm going. Okay. Yeah. So think about physical structure. So, so um, narrow ISA bias, he's going to have a lot of volume that will rest downward in the pelvis. Okay. And then as it fills up, it spills over the front. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so now you've got inguinal ligament that's under tension and twisting. Do you understand? Mm -hmm. Okay, so, so as, as the pubis gets compressed backward in a, in a narrow, the, the inguinal ligament is gonna twist in opposition of it until it hits the constraint and then it goes with it. And so it's, we always talk about twisting the towel Okay, so, mm -hmm. so you want to untwist that towel to whatever degree that you, you are capable of doing. So you need to bring the ASISs closer together. That takes tension off the towel. And then you create the anterior posterior expansion and that creates, that creates the untwist. Does that make sense? Yes. So, so the shape change is going to be your, your goal to start. Okay. You got to take so, but you've got a you've got an internal load that's potentially putting pressure directly on the area that you're trying to alleviate as well. Mm -hmm. So, so you're going to have to use positioning. Does does he have different symptoms in different positions? Not really. I think the only thing that he like um, feels he doesn't really have too much problems with it. Okay. Like it. He can't extend his leg. Like, I mean, of course, 
like he can't go back to extension. Okay, so so that's gonna be so that's gonna be a, a, a nice test for you to to chase because that will tell you whether he can pressurize his his abdomen, okay, like move it up. So he doesn't have the 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 load that's gonna be pushing him further forward, right? So maybe you gotta start him in supine sideline activities that take some of the pressure off. But think about this for a sec. Um, if you want to get uh, uh, the, the the outlet, the anterior outlet to be concentrically oriented in the easiest possible manner, what position would you want to chase? Do you know? Okay, I want the anterior outlet being- So you want the anterior outlet to be able to go up, up. concentrically orient, into an exhaled representation, right? We, we want that because that's gonna bring the ASISs closer together. It's gonna to help untwist and it's gonna help us create some anterior posterior. You see it? Yes. Okay. Okay, so I so, want so, this so, basically. So think about this for a sec. Um, if I could take all of the weight off of the anterior outlet, it would be easier for me to concentrically orient, right? Because then it, it's like it's like doing an imaginary biceps curl, right? I can I can I can curl an imaginary thousand pound dumbbell any day of the week, right? Because there's no no actual weight. So if I can take all the weight off the outlet, I have an advantage that 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 will allow me to move that outlet into a position that will buy me the position that I'm looking for in regards to taking tension off the inguinal ligament. Do you see it? Right. Okay. What position is that though? Uh, inversion. There you go. So you've okay. got to work towards that as, as much as you possibly can. Now you got to keep in mind, it's like, okay, I got to acquire the capabilities to get to that position. Right. So again, maybe you got to start, you know, in a sideline activity, um, to, to recapture the, the, uh, effective range of motion. But as you move them towards like a quadrupedal representation, that's beneficial. That takes load off of the outlet. But if you can invert them, right, right. But you can invert people right away if you you can sort of build it. You know what I'll do is I got those uh, the you know the AirX pads. You know what I'm talking about like the mm -hmm. yeah. So you build up the AirX pads and you put that underneath their pelvis and then their head is lower than their their pelvis like right away. But I'm still within their capabilities of position. Like I don't have to take them out of it but I have to build it up that way. And then like, so maybe like spending time in inversion would be beneficial. Yes. yes. And yes. then, so how about like, so when we do like manual therapy, so we have like usually like 90 minute sessions, what I could do is like either, like if I would have a table that kind of like cracks in the middle, I could have them a little bit like tilted down versus lift their hip up a little bit, just so they get a little bit throughout like, an hour yeah. a day or whatever. Yeah, okay. the okay. advantages of the bendy tables. Yes, yes, you got it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, you're just okay. Just all you're just taking you're you're taking advantage of the gravity. Right. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And then like the strengthening those tissues around that ligament would be coming from like the breathing and like the internal rotation. Like once they position back. So as soon that as you capture help. a better position, you should have better force producing capabilities, I would think. Okay. Mm -hmm. yeah. okay. With, with less tension on the inguinal ligament. Right. Okay. okay. Now, don't forget the bottom up representations from the ground to the pelvis. Because we've just talked about pelvic orientation you still got the influence of their of their ground contact when they get up and move around. So right. keep that keep that in mind. Like don't forget that stuff, right? When we, you know we're talking about, you know, flipping somebody upside down, yep, that's going to give you favorable mechanics and and such, but I still have to have my my influence coming from the ground up. That's how I superimpose the IR up into the pelvis from the foot. Make sure you've got your appropriate foot contacts. Make sure you have the capacity to internally rotate the, the hip relative to the pelvis. So all of those things come into play of constructing the end result. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. Okay. Good morning. Happy Wednesday. I have neural coffee in hand and it is perfect. All right.
Today's Wednesday. That means that tomorrow is Thursday. That means that tomorrow, 6 a.m., coffee and coaches conference call as usual. Um, always say great things about this because I enjoy these so much. Grab yourself a cup of coffee. Join us for some for some Q&A at 6 a.m. Uh, the perfect way to start your day, as they say. Okay, digging into today's Q&A. Uh, this is with Manuel. Manuel's a weightlifting coach. He's actually been to the intensive. Um, and we were looking at uh, some compensatory strategies that you're going to see in a jerk. Now, this will apply to almost everything that we would see in a split stance. It will be very useful for a lot of people that are seeing compensatory strategies as people are executing exercises like split squats, lunges, etc. And they're not really sure what they're looking at as far as ER and IR compensatory strategies. So thank you, Manuel, for this question. If you'd like to participate in a 15-minute consultation, please go to askbillhartman at gmail.com, askbillhartman at gmail.com. Put 15-minute consultation in the subject line so I don't delete it. We'll arrange that at our mutual convenience. Everybody have an outstanding Wednesday. Don't forget about the coffee call, 6 a.m. tomorrow morning. Link will be on my professional Facebook page just prior to the call, and I'll see you then. (laughs) So, uh, I had a question about um, the the split squat and turns. Uh-huh. So, you know how when we talk about just like a, like a regular squat, we um, we have a like a a left uh, a flat turn. We might see more of a shift to the left. What looks like a shift to the left, uh-huh. Uh-huh. right? Whereas yeah. and whereas an oblique, we have a shift that looks like it's going to the right. And I was wondering, um, how would that re- be reflected in a split squat? Say we have the left lead uh, leg and a right leg back. Um, cause I, I was specifically thinking about like, what would we see at the knee at the front knee, uh, uh-huh. in terms of it, in terms of it veering in, uh, going inward or going outward. Right. I just wondering if you could talk about that a little bit. Okay. So, so you have to consider starting conditions. This is, this is the way that you'll, you'll, um, be able to identify some things about someone without having to lay them on a table, without having to measure them. Okay. So if you think about the behavior that would be associated with the, with the more vertical helical axis, so this is the flatter turn, this is left side anterior orientation greater than right. That's going to actually push that side forward more. So it's gonna be more of an ER orientation. So if this we're talking about left foot forward, right foot back, correct? Right. Okay, so the lead leg, the lead leg is gonna be more oriented into ER under those circumstances, okay? In the case of the vertical helical axis, which means that you're gonna see more often than not a compensatory ER representation. So this is where you're gonna see somebody roll out to the outside edge of their foot. You're gonna see the knee deviate away from midline, okay? Something along those lines. You're gonna see an ER, compensatory strategy under those circumstances, okay? Now, if we're on a uh, more of a, the oblique axis, the reason that that occurs in the first place is because our starting conditions are different, okay? So we're starting towards more of a middle representation under those circumstances because this is gonna be somebody that would be biased towards a wide ISA archetype. Mm-hmm because the starting conditions are gonna be different. And because I've got the, the oh, I'm, I'm in, immediately on the oblique axis, you're gonna see more of the, um, the ir uh, compensatory strategy, which is the anterior orientation, okay? Now it's not, doesn't mean you're never gonna see an anterior orientation with the, with the more vertical helical axis. We're just talking about sort of like a foundational representation. So, more often than not, what you're going to see then is you're going to see a knee that wants to move medially, which would be associated with the with the increase in, in the the anti orientation of being on the oblique. Okay, mm-hmm. does that make sense? Yeah. So on the back leg, what you would typically see is somebody that can't that that front leg. Again, front leg. Uh, one second, I'm 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 throwing you a curveball. I'm, I'm talking about the back leg because of this orientation. This will be the person that will never be able to get what would be considered traditional hip extension, which is IR. Okay. On the, on the oblique? On the oblique, yeah. 
Yeah. Cause you're, cause again, you're starting from your, you're, you're immediately tipping on this oblique, which is going to, we're just going to take that right side forward, which is a, which is the IR compensatory strategy. Okay. So they can't get their leg back behind them. Yeah. Yeah. So with the, with and it's going to bring the, it, it'll bring the front leg in with it. Cause again, it's an anti-orientation. So it's going to, it's going to be an IR compensatory strategy. Right. So when I think of the right oblique, you know, it, it, it turns inward, it kind of, you're kind of buried in that IR on the right side already. So you have to you probably see uh, that right leg orient outward um, to compensate for the lack of hip extension. Um, potentially, uh, yes. Potentially, yes. Or you're just going to see, like I said, you, you tend to see a very, very strong anti-orientation. And again, that that is because of the starting condition. So you are starting from a nutated representation more mm -hmm. so than a counter-nutated representation. Okay. And a lot of times, a lot of times you'll even see this before they even start to move. Mm -hmm. as, yeah, soon as, up, as soon as they set up the split and you, you just see, you see the, the anti-orientation and you'll see the, you'll see the oblique orientation mm -hmm. show up. Yeah. So, cause I, I was getting stuck on the front leg cause I was thinking like, um, if you have a flatter turn, you are oriented into that ER. Yes, sir. But you have nowhere else to go. So when you start to descend you start to collapse whereas with the oblique hang on hang you're on. kind of already there you're kind yeah. of already in that ir position so you if i have to move towards ir think about this for a sec if i have to move towards ir and i don't have any ir okay so again um the uh not everybody's gonna get this um the weightlifter that you posted yeah um that was in the split I'm assuming it was, a, it was it was his split jerk position. Yeah, so his back leg was turned outward. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it was his um, right leg. Yes, but but both legs were both legs were oriented into ER. Just the lead lead leg is in early, and the the back leg was in late. Right, right. Because he was yeah. So, so you'll see people open up. They're they're going to try to open up into those into those positions. Right. Mm -hmm. Again, you're going to see more ER orientation, more compensatory strategies for the ER on the uh the more vertical helical axis okay okay yeah and it's not like i said it's not like you can't see the anti-orientations and things like that those are those are people that are just deeper into strategy but but generally speaking if you just consider the starting conditions and then what would show up as you try to set up in an er orientation and as you try to move towards an ir which would be at the at the bottom of the split spot okay hmm. So then if, if you, um, so if you're a wide ISA and you're going into the split squat, you'll see the right leg or the front leg collapse inward. And then with the back leg, I guess they have that lack of hip extension. They won't be able to get down. They'll have to just kind of turn out to get, to get the, you know, basically create ER. They're going to try to create a space for sure. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. But, but again, they're going to be like, like I said, they'll be accused of of a lack of traditional hip extension more often than than not. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so, since I don't have a table test, when I'm looking at lack of hip extension, I'm probably looking more like uh, that maybe that uh, a drop in the that back leg or that back hip, uh, more of a possibly turning to the to that. Yeah. So, so think about it. So as they try to descend, as they try to descend, they're going to literally stop and then Go the oblique is going to allow them to kind of keep going a little bit. And, and, and so that's why you'll see that, that turn. Cause again, they're, they still have to make space to move into. That's what you're seeing. Right. And so if they're dropping like that, I can expect to see them turn out a bit so that they don't keep turning. They kind of create that space and create the IR to prevent the turn. Yeah, so like if you were thinking about like a in a in a jerk position mm -hmm. where they've got a load overhead, it's like mm -hmm. uh, they don't want to orient that far. They don't want to turn that far because they have, they have a new constraint, right, with the load overhead. So they'll so orient to stop that further descent. Right, and then if they have to keep orienting, you know what happens? Yeah, they twist. They miss the lift. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. So, so now, you know, so, so there you go. It's like, if you start to see these compensatory strategies and you consistently see somebody missing a lift, 
Oh, for sure. It's not, it's like, okay, you know where you got to go. It's like, this is not, this is not a matter of, of, of coaching technique. This is a matter of like, okay, you just bumped into a constraint that we have to resolve first. Now we go back and now that maybe the technique is perfectly fine. Mm -hmm. right? Yeah, no, no, that, that's helpful. Cause I was, I was going through it in my head and I, I was getting yeah. stuck because I was trying, I was basically being able to make the case both ways, but this that's helpful. Yeah. Good morning. Happy Thursday. I have neural coffee in hand and it is perfect. I was uh, watching one of your uh, the, the simple solutions video for the medial knee pain. Uh-huh. And, and on the on on one on one video where there's that's a part one, I think, for the medial knee pain when you're in half kneeling right knees forward and you're untwisting the knee uh with with two cables the right cable is pulling you forward and you're and basically uh letting the right arm right cable pull you further forward so you're going into late and you have that heels uh toe toe elevation to yeah. to get that dorsiflexion just to untwist the knee yeah i have I have a question. How would you construct that if you if you have a left medial knee pain? Would you would you still let right cable pull you? Because if are you, you let are you are you leading with the left knee? Is that what you're left, saying? Yeah, I'm leading with the left knee. <clears throat> and I just want to know is it is it safe or is it okay to <laughs> Let the let the left cable pull me forward on the left, but then I'm just putting my left leg uh, toward towards the late. Correct. And so so that's that's why you have to sort of pay attention to what you're doing. Now, do, let me ask you a question. Um, do you think it's necessary for that knee to eventually be able to go through a late representation? Like. As I see it, I just have to get the ER of the femur so I could do it in early as well. Okay, well, hang on. That, that wasn't my question. Yeah. Okay. Is yeah, it, it is. necessary? It is. Is yeah. it? Okay, so at some point in time, I do want to do that. That doesn't mean that it's the only solution. All right. right? All right. So you, you do have to attend to, to other, other issues. So for instance, um, if I had a situation where, um, let's just say I have a superimposition of external rotation from the pelvis downward, as well as the tibiofemoral ER at the knee. Yeah. That would be the wrong thing to do because I'm promoting the reinforcement of that superimposed external rotation. Do you yeah. understand? Yeah. Yeah, so, so under that situation, it's not the right solution. All right, so. So your thought process is correct, is so, that you may not wanna do that. You may wanna move them back towards early and then create the orientation at the knee because I've got I've got I've got internal rotation coming up from the ground in that situation. Yeah. Right. Yeah. To prevent the ER from being uh, superimposed. Oh, yeah. So, in in terms of I was thinking about it, putting someone not in half kneeling but more in staggered stance. Would, Maybe would that would that be enough? It, it's still a knee bend, but it's not like 90 degrees, but right. knee is still bending. So we're still getting the relative. Okay. So, so if the knee is not bending as much, okay, you still have access to um, the knee orientation. You're still, still influencing the knee orientation, but where would you be putting greater emphasis? On the, on the foot and on the, on the hip. There you go. Thank you. Perfect. Yes. There you go. Right? right. So, so remember the knee is the dumbest joint 
in the leg, right? I see. And so if I can control the foot position, if I can control the hip position, I have a much better chance of accessing the knee orientation that I'm after. All right. And so yeah. the degree of knee bend is an influence because the more, the closer I get to that imaginary 90 degrees of knee bend, that's where the, that's where you're going to see this really the maximal untwisting. Yeah. So, so that's where I have the greatest amount of, of rotation across the knee. And so if I, if I'm trying to manage hip and foot position first, then it would behoove me to not use as much bending of the knee in that activity. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Makes sense. So that's so, a really good, that's a, that's, and I use the same strategy. It, it's like, it's just a really good strategy. You, you have to control the other elements first because again, so think about this. Um, someone, and somebody just literally just asked me that. He's like, why do you have to worry about the, the external rotation at the hip first? Why can't I just untwist the knee? And it's like, well, sometimes you can. If you need to get symptomatic relief, I go after the knee right away, right? If it's really bad, right? But I also know that if I don't address the hip, that knee goes right back to where it started because the mechanics that drove the, that desire for that knee to twist inward in the first place is still there. Yeah. Right. Yeah. People get a little too, you know, zeroed in on, oh, you have a knee knee problem when the reality is you have a knee result. Yeah. 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 So you, you basically create a better circumstances be uh in in a staggered stance be, because if you put someone like that in a half kneeling it, their foot would probably just go out on the yeah. if they, yeah maybe yeah so so you're gonna see all the external rotation compensatory strategies start to show up because they don't have access they don't have so, access to that that range of motion yet all right all right, all right. so so then I see it. I would. I. I could still use the the right cable, pulling me pulling me forward. And Correct. I just have a follow up to that because you. I just want to hear your thought process on why you chose uh, half kneeling in part one and staggered stance in part two. I don't Was remember. That... I, was, I Do you know how long ago I did those? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I can. <laughs> I can imagine. I just, <laughs> it's, I, I was probably working off a scenario that I was actually working with someone in real life. And then it was right, just like, yeah. oh, we did this today. So I'm going to do this. Yeah, right, it's, yeah. It's just, it's just options. Okay. Now, but, but again, it, so, so here's what I would say is like, you understood right away, like, oh, this makes total sense if I do it, if, if this is the problem on this side, but if the problem is on this side, I have to look at it from a different perspective. That's, that's the principle that, that you wanna make sure that you pay attention to. And like I said, you do have that understanding. So that's a good thing. Um, as yeah. far as I, yeah, like I'd have to go back. I literally would have to go back and look at the video as to why I chose that. Um, okay. Because what I was looking at, I, and the one that you're talking about, I do remember that one, is I was trying to get them to the end of middle propulsion where I, where I have a little bit more uh, direct influence on, like I'm stopping the tibia and then I'm influencing the femur. And so, yeah. so chances are I'm doing something similar in that regard in the other video is that I'm, I'm trying to influence a very specific aspect of the, of the orientation. Right. But again, I haven't looked at it. And I, I think and that, that was like, that, uh, that was really like way, I think, was that pre? I think it was. I think yeah. it's pre-pandemic. Yeah. Yeah, but those some of those videos are so great when you <laughs> Yeah, you gotta be really careful. You gotta be really careful when you bring up stuff from um like two years ago or last week because I'm really old now and my memory <laughs> is not very good. <laughs> All right. All right. Th those videos are still great, but I need like I use oh, one, one hour of my day just to go through them and try to understand what's happening. But it's, it's great when you, when you get it. Good morning. Happy Friday. I have neural coffee in hand and it is perfect. All right. Well, happy Friday. Um, happy New Year's Eve day. Sort of like a pseudo holiday, I suppose. Um, Everybody's taking a little bit of time off today. So we're gonna dig straight into uh, today's Q&A. 
This is the end of a conversation um, that, that I had off of a question. We'd been talking about knees and exercise selection and sequencing. And the, the point of this, this part of the discussion was really important um, because what it, what it talks about is how an exercise can favorably influence an outcome or create interference. And I think that there's a lot of um, questions as to how certain exercises do influence an outcome. The, the most important thing to recognize is that if I understand the starting conditions, and so that's where archetypes and body structure and then phases of propulsion come into play, and if I understand the intention of where I want to end up, then the exercises should move me in that direction without conflict. Um, but it's the understanding, and this, this is why a representative model that is coherent becomes so important, because it does allow us to select the appropriate exercises. Um, and then again, we we want to eliminate any interference that we create on our own. So the greater the clarity of the understanding of where you are allows the, the program to sort of write itself, if you will, um, because it's going to allow you to select the appropriate activities uh, based on your intention. So again, very important conversation here for a lot of people. Um, just a quick reminder, go to the YouTube channel, get yourself subscribed so you get all of the videos um, that, that we start here uh, on Instagram and they end up loaded up on, onto the YouTubes. So please go there and subscribe. Um, have an outstanding New Year's and I will see you next week. From a principal standpoint, um, there is there are times where um, we wanna maximize the, the yielding action Right. And then there's times where we want to put you towards a position, but hold it back so it doesn't go too fast um, in regards to going forward. So we talk about delay. It's like sometimes I want I want to maximize the position. So like the earliest of early propulsive representations would be that that first superimposition of of internal rotation on on that big yielded maximized early representation. And then there's times where I want to push you forward, but then I want to stop you and hold you there so that the that side does not get ahead of the other side yet. So as we as we have a situation where one side might be trying to go faster than the other, right? Number one, we have to capture the position. So that's what I'm talking about by moving you all the way back to an early representation. And then we got to teach you how to bring that side forward at, at the appropriate rate relative to the other side. Mm -hmm. And then eventually you've got to push that side forward with an element of control. And so, so that's what you want to think about from a sequencing standpoint, as you bring somebody back through. So Ian, when you're working with these guys with, with all the knee stuff, Think along those lines. It's like capture that earliest position first, and then you got to teach them how to move through this at the appropriate rate relative to the other side. And I, does that answer your question, Manuel? Um, yeah. And so, in terms of sequencing, uh, you know, if we're going between getting pulled and then pushing ourselves into it, um, you, you could do something in between those two. Like I was thinking, maybe like a like a right arm like press, like an overhead press, where you. Yeah. Because that's going to turn you that in that direction anyway. Okay, but where's the overcoming on one side, and it, maybe you can orient your hand to get a yield on the left. Yeah, but I don't know if you have to get that wild and crazy on the other side. But what what I would offer you is like now think about if you're if you're going to use a press, which you can do. So you know if you look at like the <clears throat> like the videos that talk about the uh, waiter waiter carry. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly like what that. I'm thinking. Okay, so think about though where the position of the load is going to create a bias as well. Right. So are you pushing yourself forward? Absolutely. But but where are you in this whole excursion of propulsion if I put a load that goes straight up over my head? Uh, you, you'd be more in the middle. Correct. And so now you're playing with middle plus or minus. Right. So if I was in a rack position, it would slow me down. If I put myself in a waiter's carry, it pushes me a little bit forward. You see the difference in the two? Yeah. So. Um, you know, if, if I'm trying to, to get that yield on the left, I would want to do the rack carry on the left and then the waiters carry on the right. And, you you know, and that could be a progression within getting pulled by the cable or pushing with the cable. You see, so you see how we're just writing a program now? 
It, yeah, it's like, yeah. it's like we understand the principles about where we want to keep somebody and the exercises mm -hmm. just sort of fall into place. And then you go, oh, wait a minute, this exercise now becomes interference. I'm going to hold off on that until it's time for him to push his way through this. Right now, I'm teaching him to gradually come forward so he can control the rate at which he goes forward. So that's a whole different uh, influence, right? So again, it's like, that's how you decide, well, which carry do I do? Which type of a split squat am I going to do? If I'm trying to hold somebody back, do I elevate the front foot or do I elevate the back foot? You see the difference? It's like, that's how you write the program. But as long as you understand what your intentions are, the exercises just fall into place because each exercise, every exercise that you do is going to fall into a position somewhere along this continuum. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. Yeah. So right. can I ask you a question, man? What? Sure. Okay. So um, uh, we, we, we're working with one of Ian's uh, soccer players mm. and we're trying to capture an, an early representation. Okay. And um, doesn't have full end range knee, uh, knee bend yet, but we're going to start to do a little bit of power work uh, with a barbell. Okay. And so I'm going to send them to you and, and, and I'm going to say, Hey, let's avoid any of the deep knee bending stuff, but he can bend his knee, like say easily 45 degrees. And we can, we can start to work on some, some patterning of, of explosive work. Okay. But again, I want an early representation. Are you going to, are you going to give him a, uh, uh, a uh, snatch from, from the boxes so we can limit the range of motion, okay? Like, like a power snatch from, from the box, or are you gonna give them a power clean from a box? Um, I would do a power clean because there's a little bit more yield posteriorly compared to the snatch. Do you, snatch see, how, do you see how we're, again, we're just writing programs now. Mm. Do you see the difference? It's like, okay, that's a, it, so we use, the, we use the, the boxes to limit the excursion, perfect. We, we are protecting the knee, right? We're teaching him to, to, to start to, to produce force, but we're also encouraging the delay strategy at the same time. You see how cool that is? No, that's very cool. Yeah, because if, if you gave him the power snatch, could he do it? Absolutely, he could. Are you helping? Probably not. Right. You're pushing him forward too fast, mm -hmm. right? Later in the program, now we can come, we can, we can push him forward towards the, the power snatch variations.